What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 11th, 2020. This week's episode, Fantastic Featherweight Fights. We'll be talking about everything UFC Fight Island 5, the crazy finishes, and what's next for Corey Sanhagen. We'll give you the latest on the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier saga, We'll talk about the John Jones versus Israel Adesanya Twitter beef, and we'll look ahead to the fantastic featherweight fights. Bellator has Chris Cyborg against Arlene Blanco, and the UFC has the grudge match between Brian Ortega and the Korean Zombie. What's up, guys? My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Uh, is it almost upon us, two weeks away, to the big the big fight island fight but i'm still i'm still pretty excited what we what we what we've just gone through last night's fight what we have coming up i don't know man all would you say overall this fight island has been a pretty big pretty good success i think after last night um i i know that last night probably these last two weeks they felt like sleeper cards and i get it rightfully so they're not the most stacked they kind of save the firepower you know on the bookends but i think if you tuned in last night you got you know you did not feel like you wasted your time you got a lot out of it so yeah i would say so i'd say that it's a good time to get excited about it what about you oh yeah i'm pumped i'm pretty excited Last night had, uh, well, we'll get into it. I'll leave it at that. But yeah, looking forward, I'm very excited. I mean, let's get right into it then. Nothing else to really discuss. Uh, yeah. Marlon Moraes versus Corey Sanhagen. Um, Natalie, I'm going to just say it bluntly. I did not see that coming. I, uh, I'll be honest. I felt like Corey Sanhagen. I, felt, I think a lot of people felt like maybe Aljamain Sterling showed that he's good, but maybe he's not quite at that top high championship level you know ready to take on everybody regardless of the skill set i felt like he had um you know the aljamain fight was his big jumping competition and he loses in the first round pretty handedly i felt like you know maybe the seasoning is still required yet for Corey sanhagen i think that you got reminded that he is legit and he got to the fight with sterling for a reason and I'll just be honest, you're talking about a guy who dominated Marlon Moraes in the first round when unanimously, it is, that is when he's considered his most dangerous and most explosive. He shut him down, used his reach, used his height, used his movement, defended well, never really took any serious damage from Marlon, in my opinion. A few leg kicks, but nothing that I felt really compromised him. And in that second round, he spinning back kick he must have been watching some Barbosa highlights some Joaquin Buckley highlights we'll get into that I was just impressed that was a brilliant performance when you consider that he had to bounce back and when you consider that a lot of people had Marlin he was neck and neck with Aljo for a shot at Peter Young for the title so huge win can't say it enough bounce back victory yeah, huge win for sure. That was very impressive. Marlon, I mean, you know, I don't know what the odds were, but we were split. I think you had Marlon, right? Because I picked Corey. Yep. Um, and uh, I don't remember how you predicted the end. I thought it would be a unanimous decision. But, uh, I mean, I was dead wrong on, on that front. So impressive. Fluid, you know, that stance switching, just just fighting with full confidence and and so loose, open. He could just, you could tell that he was just living in the moment, reacting to what Marais was throwing at him, throwing out his own offense. The stance switching, which we know that's what he does, but it was just so impressive to watch against someone like Marais. You know, Marais did land a couple of a good overhand rights, a few body shots, leg kicks, as you pointed out. But, but Corey Sanhagen was just in the zone, man. It was really nice to watch. And against a, a real threat because if, if Marais hits you at just the right spot, I mean, look at his physique. He's fast. He's explosive. He was able to touch, you know, Sanhagen. I was surprised he was able to get in and out. But Sanhagen just had a beautiful performance. And he was, you know, he threw a couple of spinning back fists. And I think they had, they even exchanged back-to-back spinning back fists at one point. And so I think he might have trained 
uh, Marias a little bit there to expect that when he saw the, the spinning of the body. But that finishing move was was excellent with the kick. I mean, just a superb win. And it, it kind of just makes the Aljamain loss look more like a fluke than anything else. So, very impressive. No, I agree with everything you just said. He, he really did look just on point last night. And he sets up a very interesting situation. We touched on it a little bit last week, but to rehash it, um, I'll say it again. I think the only reason they haven't announced Peter Jan is because there's so much time. Um, we haven't heard when they're going back to Fight Island, if at all. It could be, it's very possible travel restrictions improve by the time they would, quote, be planning another trip. So they might just be like, oh, well, let's just bring them back to Vegas or something. There's a lot of that going on. So I think that when you look at that, yeah, I think when you look at that, it's like, why are they, I'll just say it. This isn't Tony Habib. You don't need six, seven month announcement out like they did last year, Thanksgiving for a April fight. So I think that that's why they haven't announced um, Pewter Jan Aljamain. I can't think of anything else, you know, just... Uh, uh, I did bring this up. It's like, well, Aljo versus a guy like Cejudo for Ultimate Fighter. Um, not that Jan couldn't. I just think that the language barrier, it may not make for the most interesting television, which is what I think they're looking to do outside of just bringing back the show itself. So all that together, like why? Like we're, we're looking for movement at Bantamweight. I feel like that's why they're not doing it. Where does this leave Corey Sanhagen? He, he called out the right people, I felt. TJ Dillashaw, Frankie Edgar, you just beat Marlon. I mean, you could argue that he should wait and see what happens. And But, you know, obviously with so much time on the shelf, he probably doesn't want to do that. Um, I'll say this. I feel like the pick will really be determined by how much the UFC, quote-unquote, likes TJ Dillashaw. After everything that happened. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's still a big name. Um, not saying I'm comparing him to Conor McGregor, but he is now very notorious, if I may <laughs> say so, uh, with everything that happened, that bringing him back, there's going to be a lot of intrigue. You talk about putting, let's say they were to put Corey and TJ co-main event to Aljo and Peter. I mean, that's... That's a very interesting uh, situation. You have all these characters, you know, against each other. You have Corey, you know, I, I know he said it's like I'm just a tall, lanky kid, but I'm trying to be a big gangster with his walkout. You know, and you have him with, let's be honest, he's going to be seen as the villain, TJ Dillashaw. Um, this is all very interesting. So I think that if UFC is still feeling very high on the sell of TJ Dillashaw back in the title picture... They'll give him Corey. If they still feel a little lukewarm, to phrase it that way, then they're most likely going to go with uh, Frankie Edgar, who was scheduled to fight Corey in January anyway before uh, they needed somebody for a zombie last year. So I think that's how they're going to set it up. Yeah, I like Corey, TJ. That's, that's a good fight. That's a great fight. And the way Corey performed last night, I think, TJ Dillashaw, I mean, we don't know how he's going to look, but we can expect to see a similar fight style. Like, I don't I don't expect him to change his fight style, even though he'll be, you know, very well rested from this long break. So that fight gets me pretty excited. And I don't think the UFC, I don't think they care about the, you know, the reason he was off for two years. Yeah, they had to, you know, figure out what to do with, um, well, actually, no, because he already lost the belt. So, I only had to vacate the, the, the 35 belt. But, like, it just gives the UFC more opportunity to have another, you know, they love their interim belts. And this one, this uh, this event gave them an opportunity to have a new title fight without having to slap the interim title, uh, label on it. So, you know, all that is just to say that I don't think that they have any hard feelings for TJ. I think they know how... Mm, uh, Fans probably, most fans are probably no longer, you know, excited 
or supportive of TJ Gillislaw, but they're all going to want to see what he looks like when he comes back. If anything, you know, sort of in a mean-spirited way to sort of boo the guy. So in that case, you still have eyeballs. Everyone wants to see what TJ Gillislaw is going to look like when he comes back. And Corey Sandhagen just made a name for himself last night. So that's, to me, a, a, it is a great matchup. That's a that's a good a good pick there. Um, yeah, I mean, well, part of me, you know, Aljo earned the title shot, but part of me also wouldn't mind uh, them sneaking Corey in there because he's just so hot right now. But but I think, you know, it, they should stick with Aljo whenever they're going to announce it. I'm sorry, but that would be a crime. I mean, Aljo starched him. It's like, I'm sorry, but unless Aljo, you know, God forbid something happens, but that is the only way you put Corey ahead. I'm sorry. I do not. I I got to raise the stop sign and hit the red light on you, Natalie. I cannot entertain this today. Totally right. It makes sense. (laughs) I got to pull a Stephen A on you, Skip Bayless. (laughs) No. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be very interesting. Um, I'm assuming we'll hear about it by November-ish. I, I think that... Uh, I, I imagine they want TJ back as soon as possible. I don't think, you know, his suspension's going to be up and then he doesn't fight till April. I do think after two years off, he's going to be like, hey, you know, if there's a fight, give it to me as ASAP. And for Corey, too. And... uh Assuming there's not the Bantamweight title fight before then, I'm assuming he'll try to stay ready just in case it's the backup, a la Michael Chandler. Um, but there was some fun stuff going on in that undercard. I mean, let's talk about it. Joaquin Buckley, where do you put his knockout? Dude, that that was ridiculous. That was like WWF style. Like, it's the kind of thing that looks, you know, you see in a Van Damme movie. Um it's hard for me to say he deserves to be like I've read some you know comments out there. Of course, the best the best KO of all time. You know, let's see more from him before we give him that title. But definitely, that's a top ten of that is a top ten of all time UFC knockouts. There's no doubt. You, you know, I think of Anderson Silva, uh, Leota Machida. The uh, uh, some people are talking about the Edson Barbosa knockout. I even think of Wonderboy Thompson, Jake Allenberg, like those spinning kicks. Some of those were incredible. This one is. Is pretty darn special, so I'll give him top ten. But you know, you've been watching MMA for a lot longer than me, so is that fair? Is that is that deserved? Yeah, I think that anytime I'll even say this compared to like the Anderson Silva, Leota Machina knockouts, those technically speaking, I mean, the degree of difficulty I don't think is very high. I think that no, um, no. you know, relatively speaking, I think the reason they were successful is because. Um, very bluntly, I don't think anybody felt... Uh, I'll say this. I've always felt like the reason they weren't done earlier, people didn't think they'd work. Oh, you know, you just literally front kick straight up 6 <laughs> o'clock to 12 o'clock. I mean, there's a lot of ways to move out of the way and block that that maybe, you know, people were like, no, nah, I'm just going to... That That's that's not going to land. You know, what, like, yeah. what am I doing pulling that move? I think that's why they weren't used. And obviously, you know, the... You don't see him that often lately. Why? Because, oh, you know, like, I, I know what you're trying to do now. Right. Um, so degree of difficulty-wise, you know, I think that those knockouts have context. That's why they're iconic. When you think of great knockout, you know, also um, the Masvidal knockout, we've seen a lot of flying knees, but, you know, obviously the context. The Buckley knockout, the degree of difficulty you're on one leg already, so you literally use your free leg, turning the air, timing. It's kind of like the Ezekiel choke for uh, Alexi Olenek. It's like, technically speaking, you kind of got to be in the right position and have your opponent stay there in order to land the move. Um, and very bluntly, he did it. He had the flexibility, the speed to pull it off, and it looked fantastic. So the degree of difficulty, very high. And so I say that that is big. Is it going to go down? I mean, if you saw Adesanya do that to Costa, I'd say best knockout of all time because of the context. But this one, still nice. You know, it's just all about the context. That's what makes it the best knockout. But it was sweet. And I do think that he really should get consideration for knockout of the year. Oh, indeed. Yeah. I. It was so good. I'm trying to remember now, like, what else has, what other great knockouts have we seen? this year <laughs> like it's kind of wiped my brain 
I'm sure once you remind me, I'll be like, oh yeah, duh. I mean, I think that it's, uh, I'll say this. There haven't been, I think, as many big dramatic knockouts in the big fights. I mean, you could talk Conor McGregor, Cowboy, but mm. even then that was kind of, you want that, you know, connects and they fall to sleep, right? That's yeah, what we call yeah. a knockout. There's been a lot of solid TKOs, but there's not that many, boom, he's out, you know, in the big fights. So I think that's why. Um, Tom Breeze with the jab knockout. What do you think of that one? Dude, that was incredible. It's just a jab. I mean, you know, you can see a lot of fighters have a really strong jab and they can hurt you. They can knock you out on your butt. But that, I mean, or knock you down. I mean, this was this was impressive. It didn't look like it had any real heat on it. And bam, down. And, you know, he had to finish him on the floor. But but he was pretty much done. That was uh, That was nice. That was impressive. Yeah, I like that. Anytime it's like, yo, uh, even for the big guys, when you put someone down like that, that's power. That's timing. It's a, I would just feel like honorable mention. I also got to say this one in KSW over in Poland, the home of one Jan Blachowicz, uh, Mamed Kalidov, and that switch kick KO. That one was pretty nice. You put that one on UFC and you're giving Joaquin Buckley some competition. It was pretty <laughs> sweet, personally. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I mean, you know, th- yeah, <laughs> there's just at the end of the toes. And uh, those are the sweet ones where you think like, oh, it's just out of range. And then whammo, it touches just enough power. And yeah, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty darn sweet. Yeah, I liked it. So, look, like I said, I know on paper it wasn't the most stacked undercard under Marlon and Corey. But... You asked me, that one, that, that was a good night of fights for your money. Um, I'm going to put us out of order, but Natalie, it was a ridiculous uh, weekend of fights. I mean, you had UFC, Bellator, KSW, uh, literally from about 8 a.m. Western time to about 9 p.m., you had MMA on television. It was ridiculous. Um... Uh, like I said, KSW was running. Obviously, UFC dominated the evening. Uh, Bellator Paris. <clears throat> I was excited. You know, your debut in France, that, that's awesome. Anytime, you know, you open up these markets, it's like, hey, you know, a lot of people waiting for the opportunity and maybe show out. That was nice. And then I, I tuned in this that morning and I watched uh, MVP taking on Ross Houston. And that, uh, yeah, that was a slow one. And then I came back, I watched Czech Congo and Tim Johnson. And it was a little slow, and I'll be honest, uh, it, maybe it was because of the half-capacity crowd, but I kept thinking, okay, how's this going to be with fans back? Like, this is going to be the pop. And I was like, I felt like I was watching TV. I felt like I was watching like where they have the pre-recorded crowd noise that they play at the competition shows like Dancing with the Stars. I'm like, <laughs> uh, that, um, that did not live up to my hype. Did you have any thoughts on Bellator's debut in Paris? It was nice to see folks in the audience, you know. Um, the, the noise, you know, the crowd noise did sound a little fake for some reason. And is it just because the one... The ones that we're hearing now on, you know, MLB, NFL, well, NFL, depending on what city they're in, um, you know, because they're just, they do such a good job with it that it sounds kind of real that maybe that this time, you know, it sounds, I don't know. Could it be it there just, just it, weren't enough of them? Yeah, I guess there, well, yeah, then the, and there couldn't be, and that's fine. So, but it, there, yeah, I think the sound, it was just like, wait, is that real? Like, I literally had to go like, is that coming from the crowd or is that still fake audio? Like, it was, it was confusing my brain, so. But in any case, I'm glad that they are in France. That's amazing for Bellator that they had people in the crowd. I don't know what the capacity, you know, the limit was and the spacing requirements, what that is in in France. But, um, you know, it looked like people were sort of spread out. I don't know if they had masks. Did you see if they were wearing masks? To be honest, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I couldn't tell. The the parts that I saw writing was was low. I couldn't tell. Um, That, That would explain it too, the masks muffled the cheers. Yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, so so that has something to do with it. Um, it was funny to hear like French cornering, a lot of French <laughs> cornering. Um, but but yeah, um, in on paper, 
the notion of being in France is more exciting than perhaps the uh, the result this time around. But you know, it's strange times, and it's not the event that they probably wanted it to be. But they did the best they could considering, and so kudos to Bellator. Um, I think the most surprising thing is yeah that Michael Venom Page didn't have a spectacular moment, and um, was it just that his opponent was so good, or that you know maybe. I don't know. He um, he's just a little bit one note, and if he doesn't have someone that's willing to sort of help him show off his skills, then you just kind of get an underwhelming fight. So I don't know what the future holds for him because you still say his name, and I get excited. People get excited, but when he doesn't give you that that payoff, then it's kind of like, oh, well, okay, <laughs> next. Which isn't fair, but I don't know if he, like I think about if he was in the UFC, would he do well? I don't know. I don't know. I think he might get knocked out pretty fast with that stance that he carries. And, you know, I know he wants um, revenge against Douglas Lima, but I don't think he would go any differently, honestly. So very curious to see how the career of MVP plays out from here on. I mean, I think the big thing about it is you don't really know what's going on with uh, welterweight, you know, right now. I think that uh, I keep looking at it and I'm like, well, Douglas Lima, I mean, he's already taken the trilogy with Andre Koreshkov. Yes, you do have uh, Ed Ruth and Neiman Gracie, but, and I say this with the most respect possible, I still feel like they're in the prospect part of their career. I think that, you know, they're still mostly grapplers, still becoming full mixed martial artists. And you have Douglas Lima, who, big, powerful, explosive, and great jiu-jitsu, you know, he poses problems to a lot of guys in the UFC also, if you were to cross over. So I feel like just the disparity, you know, just that gap between Lima and the rest of the the pack, it's still... um, I'm not saying it's Valentina Shevchenko size, but it's still significant uh, in my opinion. And um, you look at the MVP fight, I see that. And yeah, I, I don't see that and think, oh man, he runs it back with Douglas Lima. Now, mind you, like I know I hear the criticism about uh, MVP's level of competition. Uh, uh, rightfully so. I, I get where you're coming from, but I've also said this. I feel like Bellator... They, they're they doing this on purpose because really, uh, and I say this respectfully, do you want to see Douglas, Le- sorry, do you want to see MVP fight Neiman Gracie and Ed Ruth who are just going to try to wrestle him the whole time? No. Exactly. And so it's like, look, uh, does he need those fights to prove he's the best in Bellator? Yeah, absolutely. That's not, you know, that's not even a debate. But, you know, then also it's like, hey, look, what what are we trying to set up? What's our money fight? MVP versus Lima and stuff like that. I, I'll say it again. They set up the uh, Grand Prix last year to possibly have MVP and Rory in the final, which I thought would have been crazy. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just all about timing. And um, we'll see. I mean, they've got to give him somebody good if he's going to run welterweight while Douglas Lima's preoccupied, right? And I think Lima... I want to say he's fighting in November against Musasi for the middleweight strap. So let's see how all that plays out. And then I think we'll get a better take of what's next at uh, welterweight for Bellator. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Tim Johnson, uh, you know, look, I mean, I, st- I think uh, Ryan Bader's on vacation, but obviously he's making his way up. Vitaly Minikov is working his way back up and um, they'll figure all that out. Anyway, moving on, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, going back to being notorious, Mr. Conor McGregor himself. He goes on Twitter and says he accepted the fight with Dustin Poirier. He says that he wants it in November. Per Ariel Hawani, they said UFC was looking at 2021. Conor said, no, I'm ready for November pay-per-view. I'm ready for December pay-per-view. I did also hear he did bring up a great point. You almost don't want a title fight with Connor because then you're cutting another slice of the pay-per-view revenue out for the fighter. Um, so I get that. And uh, obviously, uh, November already has two title fights. December still has the one with Amanda versus Megan Anderson. Um, I, I'll say this right now. 
I do feel like this is a sign that it's going to happen. I do think that the time for waiting is over for everybody. I really, I don't know. I, I feel like they might just bite the bullet and say, look, let's just, you know, December, you know, Amanda and Connor on the same card. You have your women's goat and you have your MMA superstar. I mean, I feel like, hey, look, that goes on everything they've been selling all year. Why wouldn't that be a big end to the pay-per-view calendar? So I think that this is, all of this has legs is what I'm trying to get at. So I do believe it'll happen. I am 60-40 that it'll happen this year. That's where I'll stand. Okay. I, I'm with you. It'll happen. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, more um, opportunistic here, I feel, or optimistic, I should say. I'm thinking like 85, 85-15, 80-20, that this is going to happen. I think it'll be December. Um, when I mean 60-40, I mean that it'll happen in 2020. Yes, I, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah, with yeah. you. 2020, okay. yes. Yeah. It's like, I, I know for sure it'll happen. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm talking about the timing. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. I think, I think I'm still pretty high on it happening um, at, at those numbers in 2020. Um, almost, actually, man, the more I say it, I'm like, actually, 100%. It's going to happen in December is my feeling. Um, yeah, I'm just going to go all in on that, pushing the chips in. Um, because Amanda is great, amazing, the greatest female UFC fighter or probably period MMA fighter female MMA fighter um, I don't think she'll have much trouble dispatching Megan Anderson no offense it's just that she's she's where Ronda Rousey was you know when in her heyday she's just so far ahead of the, the curve there and that's just what happens we see it with, with fighters all the time so you need a little more pop in December right you're coming into New Year's everyone's been having the same crazy 2020 we've all been suffering uh, the same way you know dealing with this covid thing and quarantine and all that so what better gift than the return of the notorious in a really awesome fight with dustin poirier where even at the beginning of the year mcgregor would probably not have been entertaining a rematch with dustin poirier but it's come around and they're both amazing fighters well we know dustin is an amazing fighter we haven't seen mcgregor in a long time we saw him in january but it was such a quick fight we didn't get much of a look but in general, we feel that he's still really good. Okay. Plus, he's Conor McGregor. So December is the gift that, that the UFC is going to give to us. My question is, do they, do they put him at the top of that card? Do they bump him? I mean, Amanda and, Noon and Anderson were already going to be the co-main. Um, so do they just stay there? I think you have to. You can't, you can't make Conor McGregor the co-main. You could make a, the co-main to... A really awesome title fight but even Usman Burns I would hesitate giving him co-main position there I think he's way bigger than, than that so I expect to see him as the main event December 12th and I can't wait I mean I see no reason why this won't happen if the UFC has any sense like just jump on it just do it just give us the gift respectfully and I'll say this, the UFC does not double book the superstars for this exact reason. I mean, like I, I hate to say it, but you could do a John Jones Adesanya and I could still argue that, yeah, but are you Conor McGregor to the UFC? You know, and look, mind you, I think that's a way better fight. And I think that would be the only one where you have a an argument to be made to bump Notorious down. Stipe and Jones too, but um, yeah. my point is that there's only a set number of fights, not fighters, fights, that could reasonably bump down Conor McGregor. It's just very bluntly. It's just, yeah, you, you just don't do it. Um, and look, mind you, if you're also a superstar like A. Jones or Izzy, you kind of want to lead your own card because you get a bigger cut of the pay-per-view. Respectfully, if you put one of those guys with Connor, yes, it's a bigger pie, but you're still potentially getting a smaller slice because of the way they split the cash. So, um, you know, look, that, that's just a little bit behind the numbers on why they make decisions like, well, why don't they put them all on the same card? <laughs> look, it would be nice, but guys want to get paid as much as they want to win, too. Um... So look, I think all of that together, um, I like it. I think this is a good sign. 
Natalie, weren't you telling me last week? Oh my gosh, I don't think Conor McGregor's ever gonna fight again. Probably. Um, what do you mean probably? probably. You, you did. <laughs> I, I just said. Remember when I said, "Hey, look, we're gonna make money and everyone's gonna be happy again." I don't. Well, I'll say this: we haven't heard from Dana since this happened. Yeah, he's been. I said. I said that they shouldn't keep Conor McGregor on ice because we're talking about when will fans be in? in a, you know, we're we gonna have fans in the U.S. in in the uh, arenas. And don't keep the guy on ice. He wants to fight. He's ready to go. Let's give the guy a fight, whether there's fans in attendance or not. So, and and because it seemed like the UFC was not gonna um, relent on that, it seemed like the guy wasn't gonna fight this year. But I'm so happy that this is probably gonna happen. Uh, I think there's a bit of a revisionist history coming okay. out of your mouth, okay. but okay, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll, um, okay, Natalie Zamudio, I, I see what you're doing. No, but um, guys, so <laughs> it's okay. Um, you know what? I, I mean, I don't got anything more to add. I think that uh, they reached the point where it's like, look, you may not have a capacity crowd in 2021 at the rate it's going. I mean, you're still hearing about some places around the world shutting back down, and you know, we just talked about it with the NFL. It's like, yeah, like the. There's just no, you're not seeing the signs that a miraculous turnaround by the spring for a full arena is going to come back soon. So I think that, yeah, they've kind of all decided to let that ship sail away and now take off in this new plane. So I think it's going to happen. But yeah, very bluntly, I mean, I love the fight. I think that's going to be a fun one. I think where you look at Dustin, where he's at now. What does this mean for Tony Ferguson? He took to Twitter to say he was frustrated about it. It's very interesting. I'll be honest. I think that Habib's going to come out of this and be like, oh boy, here they come. You know, GSP better get motivated because otherwise I'm going to have some new hungry lions for uh, 2021. So it's going to be good. Or Justin Gaethje, you know. Don't let me count that chicken before it hatches. (laughs) Fun stuff at 155. Anyway. <sighs> Have you been on Twitter lately? Not yesterday. <laughs> Have you been on Twitter all week? Yeah, yeah. Because you know what I noticed? What? So I hear, so obviously since last week, and by last week I mean like the week before our last show, you hear a little bit of chatter. Our two favorite light heavyweight and middleweight champions who don't like each other, John Jones and uh, Israel Adesanya. They're going back and forth. And Natalie, I kid you not, I distinctly remember I looked on Twitter. They're still talking. Oh boy. I check my Twitter the next morning. They're still sending messages. And I'm like, this has been going on for days. Technically, it is still going on now. I, uh, yeah, it's gotten to the point. It's like, if y'all don't fight next, I am honestly sick of hearing you two talk about the other. It's kind of like hearing, you know, being friends with a couple and then they break up and then you have to hear them talk about each other. It's yeah. like, if y'all don't do something about this, I am out. That's what it feels like watching Izzy and John Jones play out now. It's gone yeah, on it's too, kinda, too long. Go I'm ahead. Over, no, go ahead. I'm done. Okay. I was, I'm agreeing with you. It's kind of it's silly. It's a little, it's a little dumb. Uh, I've, been, I've been reading the, uh, the recaps on, uh, on MMA Fighting or MMA Junkie. So, or on, on Instagram, too. They, they, you know, they, they screenshot them all and they just line them up for me. So it makes it easier. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it's kind of annoying. It's like, dude, guys, get over it. Don't you have anything else to do? Like, you're just... <laughs> why don't you just open it? Why don't you just start texting each other? Because <laughs> we don't need to see every single con- interaction you're having with each other. Um, well, because there's not going to be a fight made anytime soon. At all. Period. We know this. It just... By before the end of the year, I like have zero confidence that they would do that. So it's just it's just kind of killing time for them. That's fine, um, but like they just must have a lot of free time because they're really just nonstop with each other. And um, it kind of it was it made it exciting at first, and now I'm just like, okay, 
like if you guys aren't gonna you guys aren't gonna fight anytime soon because you just put this on ice for now and then maybe start it up again when when we get there next year um yeah i don't know they took it too they took it too far they're kind of like um it's like a pop song you know like you love it at first and then you listen to it enough times you're like oh you know what i'm kind of over that song i'm a little bit over this right now time to change the channel yeah I don't know. To me, um, I know Izzy has nothing better to do. He's still stuck. I think he gets out today. From tw- uh, remember, he has to do a two-week quarantine when he goes back to uh, New Zealand. Oh, so he does have nothing but time. Okay. Well, technically, he shouldn't anymore. They should have let him out this morning, if I'm not mistaken. Some sometime today. Yeah, I just like, bruh. Like, how much more are we gonna? do this so um i'll say this uh you have to make a choice if you're john jones you want the, this is a big fight this is a money fight but i'll also bring this up if you're gonna do this where do you go you like okay you're not the champion anymore so are you saying you're gonna fight at 205 again and against someone who is not yeah. jan blahovich in which case i'm like well why did you know, like the chicken with the head cut off, like, you know, what, what, are, what are we doing, man? And look, I get it. You know, it's, uh, I'll say this. He feels like Israel Adesanya is a feather in his cap that's worth it. Jan Blachowicz, maybe not too high risk, low reward. That's fair. But then the timing of it just is like, oh boy, like, come on guys. So, but look, I get it. They're just, um. Like Floyd Mayweather and McGregor, it's just a money fight. But um, I think you got to be honest. If you're uh, John Jones, you're not going to fight at heavyweight and then go back down and then go back up again. That's not efficient at all, especially at his age and this time of his career. So if you're going to do it, you just got to do it next. And you just got to say, look, Stipe can take as much time as he wants waiting for... In, or, you know, waiting to fight in Ganu whenever he's feeling up for it. I'll handle business. And then heavyweight is still always there. Okay. You know, I think that that's the only way you could do this. So, yeah. But if you're John Jones, you kind, you kind of just got to commit to it. Because now it's like... I think the reason it's rubbing people the wrong way is that you're doing all this tempting... And it's like, wait, you may just say, like, yeah, I'm not fighting. I'm moving up to heavyweight. And it's like, then why would you take all this public besides just to, uh, you know, because you know we're watching. They, they both know we're watching. So I don't know, man. It, it, that's, that's just how I feel about it. I think that they're doing a little too much teasing the fans. And then he could just like, yeah, that, I was just messing with them. And it's like. Then why just go, get in his DMs, John? Yeah, exactly. Go text him. Give him a phone call. Yeah, but the way they talk, you know, is he? Why is he sliding in my DMs? My girl doesn't like it. You know, he'll say some stuff like that. Yeah. He's sliding in my DMs to talk about my titty. It's like. <laughs> that was kind of fun. I mean, he would say something like that. You you can hear it now. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anyway, my point is, if they don't fight, they need to stop doing this. Because I think now it's just looking immature. But uh, whatever you do for your own entertainment, I guess. But yeah, I think the fans... It's very clear that the fan base does not see it just for that as a whole. I think there's a lot of people who are like, well, we're building up to a big fight now, apparently. So anyway, so that's that. Saga indeed. Just fight already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, we do have two big featherweight title fights. Let's start in Bellator. Uh, you got arguably the women's goat, Chris Cyborg, making her first defense of the title. She's taking on Arlene Blanco. For people who don't know, Arlene Blanco is probably the number two uh, featherweight in Bellator. She has been for a minute. She's had... Two fights with uh, Julia Budd. I'd argue that she's probably the only one to really make it look competitive against Julia. And for people who, you know, been introduced to her, Julia kind of has run the table in Bellator for about three or four years now. 
So really, you know, you're talking about somebody because she wasn't getting the UFC shine. Look, Julia Budd was flying under the radar. So imagine Arlene Blanco. Yeah. But yeah, for people who don't know, this is somebody, um, she actually kind of similar to DC, didn't have a pro fight until she was about 30. And that was in pro boxing. She's been doing the Bellator thing in MMA. She's been with them a couple years. She's coming off a win over Leslie Smith, I believe. Um, so she's doing work, but she's up against Chris Cyborg. And I think that's where, you know, the narrative, all, any way you tell the story, it leads to this point. So what are your thoughts on the X's and O's, Natalie? I mean, you know, I was rewatching the Leslie Smith fight. She, Arlie Blanco, it's a nice jab. She's durable. You know, Leslie Smith still kind of has that old school style of fighting where when she throws her punches, they come at you from the sides and she kind of wings them. So it hurts, but it's it's not as effective as, as you know, straight classic down the line, uh, you know, boxer, even, you know, just more skilled MMA striking. So it was, it was a, a strong opponent in Leslie Smith, but Chris Cyborg has amazing boxing. And now she can do the winging thing. We saw her kind of do it a little bit against um, Nunez, and that's that you know led to her losing the belt when she lost her composure. But Chris Cyborg is an excellent striker, and she's got I think she's lost Jason Perlo in her corner. Yep. I mean, he's one of the best MMA boxing coaches around. So for all of Arlene Blanco's attributes, you know, strong, sturdy, seasoned, and and nice jab, good movement. Decent movement, I should say. Um, yeah, I think you set it up perfectly, which is like, all of that is great. But then it's like, oh, you're fighting Chris Cyborg. Oh, okay, well, none of that is good enough. <laughs> and no offense, but like, it's great. But then when you look at your opponent, like it's great against Leslie Smith. It's probably not good enough against Chris Cyborg. Um, now, you know, it's MMA. Anything could happen. But um, I see Chris Cyborg sort of... Mm, not bulldozing Arlene Blanco, but you know how how long did it take her to to finish Julia Budd? I can't remember. About three, four uh, rounds. Yeah. Okay. So you know a good fight. So this one might be like a two two three rounder. Um, but but I think it's gonna go the same way. Uh, Chris Cyborg, uh, arms raised. Yeah, I think that um with Arlene, I think one of the things that impressed me, her cardio and her output, she uh, throws at a pretty high clip for a featherweight. Um, I think it's because she's not, uh, uh, obviously she's a natural featherweight, but she's not a little bit bigger. I think she just carries around a little less muscle mass than Julia and Chris, for example. Um, so she has a great output, uh, great cardio. Um, she's really good at throwing punches when she's being walked down. She knows how to keep returning fire when you're trying to put that forward pressure at her. All of that is great. Um, I will say that I don't think, um, just watching her, I don't think she has as technically sound as Chris, and I think that you spoke to that a bit when you talk about Chris Cyborg's striking. I think that the power advantage is definitely there for Chris. I think that this is really, um, you know, similar to the Julia Budd fight. You just kind of got to walk her down and pick your spots. I think that the real key is that you have to be willing to raise the output and you have to get after her a little bit because the last thing you want when you're a counter-striker like Chris has turned into, if you're not getting one-way traffic, you don't want to end up in a position where you're waiting for openings to do damage and then you're falling behind on the scorecards and you can't land your shots. I think that's a big thing, short of getting caught. I think that that's how Chris Cyborg could fall into a deficit. you got to be very careful of that because... We've seen plenty of counter-strikers, you know, I think MVP was at risk of this over the weekend. He almost got too patient and I was like, he might be about to lose this one just on inactivity because he was waiting too long for his shots. So I think that as long as Chris Cyborg maintains a decent output when she's walking her down, doesn't let her fall into the deficit, I don't see why she doesn't pull this one out. I think that uh, she's got a great style to take out uh, Arlene. So very tough fight, very good one. Um, I will say this, uh, I was looking at everybody at Featherweight, I know we talked about maybe Katzengano, Leslie Smith, then I remembered Chris has already fought Leslie, I think in <laughs> UFC, mm -hmm. 
I'm sorry, but I don't know how you go anywhere besides Kat Zingano. What about you? There's no other option. Um, it has to be Kat Zingano. Now, go ahead. Yeah, it just has to because she she beat Leslie Smith pretty soundly. Now Leslie was had a heck of a chin on her, so she ate a lot of shots. But and she and she um, uh, was not happy with the stoppage. But you know, pay me now, pay me later. That stoppage was going to happen, no matter what. Um, so don't need to see that again. Now, if Leslie Smith feels that she's improved a great deal and she really has something new to offer for Chris Cyborg and can make a case for herself. Okay. But I didn't really see that against Arlene Blanco. So cats and gone is new. She's fresh. She's also a big name. It just seems like that's the obvious choice. Her debut fight was strong. Her grappling was, was as we expected on point. She did eat a lot of shots at, at one period, I think the third round, a lot of elbows to the head on the on, on the ground there. But I think that was a little bit of just like stubbornness on her part that she didn't want to um, relinquish. I guess she had something, I don't know, she was working on something. I, I can't remember, but it seemed kind of strange that she wasn't really fighting to get, get out of that, that spot. So in any case, that seems kind of like a, a lapse in judgment more than anything. Um, and... It's just the one we haven't seen yet, so let's just do it. Um, I will say this. I'm trying to look at it. Uh, I felt like they were looking at maybe Janae Harding, but then I realized, you know, Janae is coming off a lost on, I think, a European series card. Leah McCourt uh, from Ireland, um, she's on a good win streak, but I think that she's just still still green. They have her doing analyst work, which I think was cool, but, um, yeah, I, I just noticed the irony, uh, like, Chris Cyborg stepping into an established uh, featherweight division. The established featherweights seem to not be on a run right now. And I found that a little ironic. And it's like, I, you know, so I think that the Cats and Gone fight, like I said, it's uh, pretty clear. If Arlene wins and pulls out the upset, obviously an immediate rematch. I mean, there's no two ways about it there. So, um, but yeah, since we're not going to be, uh, since we're probably going to be busy with UFC 254 next week, I figured let's look into the crystal ball today. Um, so, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. All right. Natalie. Yes, sir. I was worried about copyright. Otherwise, I'd play the Walking Dead theme right now. Because <laughs> we've reached that point. Brian Ortega has made his choice. And the Korean zombie has risen from the dead. They will collide finally on Saturday with uh, possibly a title shot on the line. Um, you know what? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start talking about the bad blood or do you want to start with X's and O's? Bad blood, always. <laughs> Go for it. Talk to me about it. So, um, I touched on it a little bit last week and, and that's, you don't even need the bad blood in this fight to get excited about it, right? But it's there. So let's enjoy the heat that's going to come from this, uh, um, you know, antagonistic relationship that we have right here. I don't know why, like, even when, when it was a fresh story, it didn't really make sense to me. But for some reason, Brian Ortega was mad at Korean Zombie or Korean Zombie's friend, right? And he went up to him in a, in a, one of, at one of the UFC fights, and it seemed like he waited until the Korean Zombie had left before he went up to the guy, confronted him, slapped him, or smacked him in some way. And that really pissed off the Korean Zombie. Do you remember, do you recall if it was... a uh, if he was offended at the friend specifically or Korean zombie or both, I can't, I can't remember now. His thing was that he felt that zombies friend and translator Jay Park was talking trash. I believe it was after Ortega pulled out of their fight and said, Oh, this is the zombie. And Ortega essentially said, I don't think that's zombie. I think that's you talking crap for him. And that's why he took offense to it. Okay. Now, Jay Park and Zombie have both, I believe, gone... I know Park for sure, I want to say Zombie did, it just didn't get the traction, have both said, nah, that's just a direct translation, you know, like like I said those things, it wasn't Park. But Ortega didn't think that was true. I mean, that's kind of crazy. You think if you had a beef with the translator, maybe you'd want to talk to both of them and say, like, hey, excuse me, uh, you know, you said this but mr zombie did you really mean that <laughs> but no he took another route he had a choice that was that was the choice that he made. <laughs> and he, he went with the slap have you waited so, all week to say that uh, yeah no actually <laughs> <laughs> but um 
if you're a Korean zombie, okay, and someone takes issue with your friend and then waits till you're gone, you're the fighter, your friend isn't, and this other person is a fighter, they wait till you're out of the room and then they beat up your friend, how mad would you be? You'd be pretty darn mad, right? So if I'm Korean zombie, I'm holding on to that, to that, uh, to that anger to fuel me for this day that has finally almost arrived. And uh, if I'm Brian Ortega, uh, he seems like the kind of dude that's probably like over it. Like he doesn't even think about it anymore. He's like, I slapped him. I took care of it. I don't care. But you guarantee Korean Zombie still got it on his mind. So we'll see. I'm thinking of how Korean Zombie fought amazingly against Gary Rodriguez. And then, you know, we know how that fight ended. But he fought so uh, powerfully efficiently against Frankie Edgar. He wanted to make a statement. He came out fast, fast, fast and finished the job. We haven't seen Brian Ortega in a while. Is this really, has it really been since since Max Holloway or am I, am yeah, I kooky? it's true. Now, initially it was like he needed time to recover, but was there an injury or something? I mean, that was December 2018. So I believe his thing was that um, 2018, so he, uh, I think he healed up a little bit. I know that he kind of took some time off for like personal introspection with his team is what he said. And then I think that it was just the timing of the fight for the zombie. I, I, I think that's what it put together. I think they pushed him at the end to de- that December fight because, you know, they were going to Korea and they wanted a big fight for zombie. I think that's why. And then obviously he got hurt again in uh, last year and then the pandemic. So that's why it's been two years. So it just makes me wonder, you know, how different will we see will for Brian Ortega be? How likely is he to want to stand in baying like he did with Max Holloway versus using that amazing jiu-jitsu that we know he has? Uh, that's what it comes down to for me. Is he going to stand there and just scrap? Is he going to just go for the takedown? Now, Zombie has a pretty good takedown. I mean, he was able to stuff Frankie Edgar's attempts. Um, is he going to go for the takedown, work his jiu-jitsu right away? Or is he going to do a little bit of both, you know, be come out with a real mixed martial arts uh, game plan? A lot of options there for Brian Ortega, but we know he likes to stand and bang. So I suspect that's what we're going to see, especially since there's there's bad blood. Um, you know, like I said, probably not so much on his side anymore, but who knows? Uh, it's very interesting. How do you see Brian Ortega coming out? What do you think? Well, uh, I want to talk about the bad blood too. You had all oh, the fun. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, it's very rude. <laughs> no, um, rude you know what? I, I they used to call me that. Oh gosh, <laughs> you know what? Um, uh, rude prude. Um, for me, I think that uh, as much as it is bad blood, I don't think that it's gonna spill out into the fight. I don't think Ortega is gonna go out there and be like, you know what? You should now that I got your friend, you should see what I'm gonna do to you. I don't think he's gonna fight like that. I think he comes from a team that's, uh, uh, but as much as you know, Brian Ortega's making choices outside the cage. I think that um, inside he's gonna keep be very even keeled. He knows what he needs to do, and he's got a team. I think with Henry Gracie that they're gonna keep him focused. I d- I can't think of a time where Brian Ortega was unfocused in the cage he's been out fought he's been in bad spots but he's not been like you know like what's he doing out there so i want to say that on the incident in march just to put a pin you know to put a pin in it and call it a day i think that brian ortega he is a very popular guy and famous guy in the mma circle i think that he thought he was jay-z or somebody and it's like, you know what, you know, I'm going to come smack, a, you know, another celebrity. And it's like, I think you saw why he's not. Because there's still a level of fame when you talk about in MMA and then greater pop culture. So I think that, uh, you know, it's like, look, you hear about a rapper having beef in a physical altercation. Like Chris Brown and Drake or something. Okay, that's... Uh, that's kind of a big deal. I remember that happened, right? Brian Ortega does it and it's like, you read it and it's like, wait, wait, seriously? You know? So I think that Brian Ortega, you know, is just kind of like, look, you're talking too much crap. Let me handle it. And well, he 
just went up and he did what people do, you know, in the hood, at the barbecue, when you run into somebody who's been running their mouth behind the screen. It's, it's normal. And you hear about other celebrities doing it, but I think the fact of who they are was what led to so many question marks when it happened. And Brian Ortega did admit it himself. It's like, man, I slapped him. You know, like I didn't punch him. I didn't, you know, knock him out like I did Frankie Edgar. So I think that's what's going on. In terms of uh, the fight, um, I think the big thing is that Brian Ortega's physicality. um, I think that he gets a lot of his success from the fact that he's bigger. Um, I think he's technically sound on the ground. And when you have this big guy, even if he doesn't have the best striking... You know, his size and his strength really just makes up a lot of the difference. And I think that you saw that against the Cub Swanson and uh, Frankie for sure. So all that comes together. Jason Knight was another one. Um, He had to get his jiu-jitsu, but he kind of was standing his ground with Jason. So you put all that together and that's where you end up. I think, though, when you look at the fight, I think that technically speaking... You're going to want to see if Brian Ortega has added uh, more to his Muay Thai and his kickboxing. Because I think if he's looking to just use his hands to the takedown to use his jiu-jitsu, I think Zombie is ready for that and stylistically can handle that. Zombie is very good on the ground also. I know he doesn't show it off as much, but um, very proficient. So I think for Ortega, and this is why I get worried with all those knee injuries, um, or at least the big one, If he hasn't added kicks to his game, I think this could be a long night because I think now you really have to count on outboxing Korean Zombie. And I think that Zombie is going to be very prepared for that strategy from him. Yeah, it's an excellent point about, you know, the evolution of his striking. Is it still just in the fists to the the takedown or is he going to be able to incorporate more limbs? Uh, that that does uh, seem like like the key, the difference maker, at least for uh, for Ortega. Uh, Go ahead, let's do picks. We're at yeah. that time. <laughs> that's the side. That's why I side so deeply. I love Brian Ortega. I mean, he's uh, with those beautiful blue eyes, <laughs> and he's an amazing fighter. Also, um, I love Brian Ortega, and I we know he has heart and he has a chin. We saw it against Max Holloway. Heart for days. Killer instinct for days. Korean Zombie, though, is, is uh, seems a little bit of a different class of fighter, at least when just thinking about his, you know, especially his Frankie Edgar performance. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I think Korean Zombie is, uh, well, yeah, physicality. Byron Chase is, is a lot bigger, but what are actually the dimensions here? I should have looked this up earlier. Brian Ortega is 5'8". Oh, I thought he was taller than Zombie by a bit. Let's see. Five, well, okay. according to topology, it's 5'8 to 5'7. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah. I think that, like I said, uh, Ortega's a big guy for the weight class. Way big guy for the weight class. Uh, supposedly a 69-inch reach, which that seems a little short, too. He's just okay, bro- Brian's just a broad-shouldered guy at 145. I think that's what it comes down to. He's a little taller and he's just very just just a little wider. Like look at his like look at his back. Yeah. But yeah, Brian Ortega's got got a he's he just looks like a way bigger dude. He definitely is. Like that doesn't even make sense those numbers. Yeah. Um okay. Oh, you want me to go man. first to help yeah, you yeah. out? Man, it's tough because I, I'm talking myself out of my pick as I, as I open my mouth. It's like Natalie picked somebody already. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I got Korean Zombie. I think that he... Um, I think he's just motivated. I think he knows that this is his time. I think that he's... Uh, you just put it all together for him. The layoffs he's had and everything else. I think the fact that... Um, he feels a little robbed that he didn't get that Yair Rodriguez victory about uh, two years ago. And, you know, you, you get that knockout, you're probably in a title con- eliminator already. So um, I think you put all th- that together. Uh, this one's it for Zombie. I think that stylistically he just matches up well. I think that his ability, his power, he's multifaceted. I think you put those weapons together and that causes a lot of problems for a guy like Brian Ortega. And so I just think he's a little bit better striker. 
I think he's got knockout power, and I think that gets the job done. I think he gets it done about the third round. I think he's got to wear down Ortega a little bit, but then he pulls it off. Yeah, okay. That that I, I appreciate you saying you going first and put it, letting me off the hook a little bit. That's where I was leaning, but something about it just made me, made me stop. I was thinking Korean Zombie, and I was like, but how is he going to finish him? Can he finish Brian Ortega? That that's what stopped me in my tracks. But I'm just gonna go with it. You did it. I'm gonna copy you, uh, Korean Zombie. I think he will finish Ortega, but I think it's gonna take a little bit longer. You said fourth round. Third. Third. Oh, third round. Damn. I'm going. I'm going fifth. I think it's gonna be more of a war, drawn out. Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, Mister <laughs> Mister Gonzalez. I'm sure. Go on, Korean Zombie TKO round five. All right, there we go. We got the zombie. You know, he will turn Ortega into the Walking Dead. I saw this and now I can't unsee it. If you're watching that Cobra Kai series on Netflix, originally on YouTube, but, you know, more people watching it now. He's the grown-up version of that kid they got now, being trained by the old karate kid. You look at the pictures, because, you know, the, the kid they got playing him, you know, he's in the gi with the long hair that's tied up in the bun. And then you put him next to a picture of Brian Ortega, and it's like, oh, my God. If you see it, you will get a kick out of it if you watch the show. <laughs> it's very funny to see them. It's like, oh, my God, that's... Now I can't unsee it, so... Good stuff. Some good pop culture crossover. Uh, Natalie, I am excited... I'm ready for it. I think it's time for me to make an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, next week I'll re be reporting live from Fight Island. I will be on site in Abu Dhabi at UFC 254 to bring you guys coverage of Habib versus Gaethje. We will still have a show next week. We will still have all that stuff, recaps and all that. Um, maybe at a uh, different time. The episode will drop just because uh, Natalie and I will have to coordinate with uh, my travel and everything. But yeah, the plan is to be out there talking to you guys. So if you guys don't follow me, I am at double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. I'll be bringing you guys. It'll be like, I don't want to say a travel vlog, but I'll definitely be doing a lot of uh, a lot more live coverage uh, content than I usually do. Not just interviews, but just like, you know. What's it like out there? So, you know, I'll get, you know, I'll share the experience with people, so to speak. That is awesome. I can't wait. I want to see a picture of you in that, in that outdoor octagon, you know, working on your shadow boxing <laughs> or something. That would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, man, we're super excited. Can't wait to, to see all your content. Um, are you... Go ahead. Packed? You know what? Um, I know we're talking about you know there's I'm like stuff, but how are you like You know what's weird is that uh in terms of my camera and all that like I haven't done anything so like probably about 4 weeks ago I like cleaned it all off and wrapped it all up so everything's in that sense ready to go but um no I'm thinking tomorrow night Tuesday afternoon I'll sit there and really go through you know all the clothes I need and uh you know, I've got a lot of the toiletries picked out and picked up. So it's just a matter of, okay, I got everything. I'm good to spend 10 days. I think that's the big thing. When you go to something like this, uh, compared to traveling anywhere else, it's like, okay, you can't just run to a CVS and, you know, <laughs> get more soap or toothpaste. So that's stressful in that way. But, you know, uh, I've done plenty of uh, fight trips. So it's like, okay, I'll... I'll be good. I got everything I need. I know what I need and what I won't use. Um, and then the quarantine, you know, they, it's quite a lot. You got to go through essentially two quarantines just to start working on Fight Island. One in Vegas, one in a, one over there when you get there. So it's, uh, it's quite the run, but I'm excited. I'm ready. Are you going to hit the water? I see a lot of people taking a dip. I'm not really, but I don't know. I'm taking my sandals. I'll okay. take some board shorts. I'll, right. I'll play it by ear. I'll see how I feel. Okay. Are you going to go to the Ferrari racetrack? That one's closed. We're not allowed to go there. What? It's only like a 10-month, uh, ten, sorry, 10-mile 10 block. So, And they shuttle us everywhere. It's not like everything in 10 miles is open. So 
Like literally, it's just like street to street everywhere you go, the beach to the hotels to the venue. Now, I, I, like, yeah, go ahead. I am hearing rumors. I think it's the one that's like part of it is in the hotel that they ride the bikes or what you're talking yes, about. I was going to ask. Yeah, I'll see because that's not the hotel we're staying at, but I think it's possible. But um, uh, I have heard that we will actually we might be at the new arena that they have on Fight Island. Close to fans, but apparently they're opening up like a new stadium and they want to have Habib and Gaethje in there. So that could be very cool. So not the Flash Forum, something else. I'm hoping we get to because that'd be a huge feather in the cap, but we'll see. I'll let you know. Damn, bro. Well, but yes, so this this time the next show, I should be on Abu Dhabi. Yeah, dude, that's going to be cool. I've never talked to anyone in abu dhabi before and now do i count i will get to <laughs> all right um well guys we'll go ahead no I was just final say, point i'm so excited for you and um good luck on the court in the quarantine and on the flight you know hopefully they have good movies for you and it looks like they have good food so enjoy that's all <laughs> thank you this time next week we'll be talking about it But anyway, yeah, guys, thank you for listening. Stay tuned because next week is going to be awesome. Habib versus Gaethje and everything else. Until then, have a good one.